You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says, says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming for you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And saying, uh, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word. Okay, good morning. Oh, thank you. That's a great welcome back. Um, okay, so my name is Houston. I'm the church planting resident here at the Vine. Um, God, Lord willing, the creek don't rise, as they say, in some number of years, um, we'll look to plant a church out of the Vine, just like we did with Redeemer, and just like we did with Eastside, um, and that's all I know right now. So, uh, but that's who I am. And uh, today, as we talk about this passage, uh, I want to start with um, an image. And so, this may fall flat, but I'm going to give it a shot anyways. Uh, does anyone here like professional wrestling? Oh, that's a hard no. I knew it was going to happen. Okay, that's fine. We've got a half over here. This one's for you. This is for you. Uh, okay, so imagine, um, we know these, these people, right? Like The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Uh, yeah, there we go. Or John Cena, right? These are, these are big names. So, so imagine John Cena. He's about to start his match, and he's backstage. And I thought about like, doing this myself, but I didn't think it'd go over well. And he's backstage, and, and his music starts playing. Da, 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 I don't know how it goes. But it starts playing, and the music's big, it's loud, the crowd's going nuts, and he comes out, he comes onto the stage, and it's a whole entrance scene, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, the Rock comes out and he does his eyebrow thing. Um, again, if you, if you liked wrestling, you'd probably get that. But that's fine. And so uh, what we see with like professional wrestlers is that there's this moment where they're coming out and, and coming to the, the arena. And it's this whole ordeal. It might be more important than the match that's actually about to happen. There's all the smack talk beforehand, the coming out on the stage. Like This is almost as important as the wrestling match itself. So like if the music is dark and menacing, maybe it's a villain who's coming out to fight. Or if the music is powerful and upbeat, maybe this is like a big deal wrestler or, or something like that. 
Um, and so I, I assumed that maybe wrestling wouldn't hit very well this morning. So I thought of another one. Uh, let's think back to January when President Biden was inaugurated or, or the time before President Trump. Think about that whole experience. There's, there's a procession. There's music. There's people standing. It's a big ordeal, right? And so... Uh, I guess what I'm saying is the, the inauguration is a lot like a wrestler coming out onto the ring, uh, getting ready to fight, right? And, and so, like, even think about it in, like, the, the everyday, like, a, uh, the president walks into a room, and people stand, they play the music, hail to the chief. Uh, it's, it's like a whole thing, right? Because we know that, that whenever anybody walks into a room or comes into a place, it says something about them, Right? And, and especially our leaders, especially leaders, the way they come into a room or, or walk onto the stage or, or enter is significant. And so when we come to this passage this morning, what we're seeing is uh, that Jesus comes to Jerusalem as the king riding into town. We've spent you know, the last couple of years in the book of Matthew, and we've been following Jesus, and we've been learning about him. And we've seen his whole life and his whole ministry. But something here in chapter 21 is changing. There's some shift that's happening. And people can feel it. You know, there's an energy around it. And people are paying attention. And at the center of all of this moving and shaking and action is Jesus. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read through this passage. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about it. We call it the triumphal entry. Um, but you call it the victory parade. You call it the wrestler's entrance. Whatever you want to call it. Uh, and we're going to see is, is front and center in this passage is that Jesus is the king. T, capital T-H-E, the king. He's the king. And what we're going to find out is we're going to find four things about King Jesus, okay? So he's gonna find, we're going to find four things. First, that he's different. We're going to find out that he's promised, that he's humble, and he's misunderstood. So again, he's different, promised, humble, and misunderstood. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. And uh, King Jesus, we just pray that you would open our ears and eyes to your word this morning. We just pray that uh, your will would be accomplished this morning here, Lord, and uh, that you just work through uh, these words and that uh, your glory would be the result, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's, let's jump into the passage. Grab your Bibles. And uh, we're going to Matthew 21, uh, what we just read. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 3 first. And it'll be up on the screen too. So now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. And tie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and you'll send them at once. All right, so first let's, let's uh, talk setting. Let's talk setting about the story. It says that uh, they get up to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives. And so uh, this is significant. In, in the Bible, the setting can convey a lot about what the author wants you to get about the story. And so when Matthew writes, he tells us that Jesus came to the Mount of Olives, and he does this thing on the Mount of Olives. He wants us to get something about that. So if we go back through the Old Testament, um, and we look for stories that take place on the Mount of Olives, there's a very consistent theme. 
and we won't dive too deep into this, but essentially this mountain, the Mount of Olives, is the setting for multiple stories about the greatest kings of Israel failing miserably. So two examples, David, the greatest king in Israel's history, he's usurped by his son. There's a violent coup, he's thrown out, and he flees up this mountain. And then Solomon, the second greatest king in Israel's history, uh, turns to idolatry and worshiping foreign gods, and he does it on this mountain. And so what Matthew wants us to see is that the starting of this story on this mountain has to do with the kings of Israel. And specifically, he wants us to see that Jesus is going to take all of these stories of Israel's kings failing, and he's going to turn them upside down. And he's going to do it by being the good king that Israel needs. And so when we get to Jesus, he's he's starting this journey on the mountain, and we can, it's almost like picture it, right? He's standing on this mountain where these other kings have stood and failed, and he launches his victory parade, his wrestler's entrance into the, king, the city of Jerusalem as the king. And so, so the mindset we want to be in is that where the previous kings of Israel have stood and failed, Jesus starts. So where they've ended poorly, he starts. And so this is, this is like the equivalent of uh, maybe the inauguration. We start the procession at the Washington Monument, right? Just to say that where one ended, the next begins. Something like that, right? So think of this as the beginning of Jesus' inauguration trail. And he's starting, we know, the final stretch of his life. He's going to Jerusalem. But the twist in all of this is that we know at the end of this inauguration trail is not enthronement, per se, but the cross. And so here we have our first point. Jesus is triggering this, this imagery for uh, those around him, and he wants us to understand something very important. He's the king. He's the king, right? And not just any king. When we read the story of the triumphal entry, we see that Jesus is the different kind of king to Israel, that Israel needed. And we see clearly that the start of his inauguration doesn't end with enthronement the way we would expect, but it ends with the cross. He didn't fit their expectations, and sometimes he doesn't fit our expectations. And so, uh, so we know this is the, the start of his inauguration. How does Jesus launch his inauguration? And with a donkey, of course. Uh, two donkeys, even. And so, at the beginning of this uh, upside-down inauguration, we read... Uh, that Jesus sends for a donkey and a colt. And so, you know, there's a lot of questions. When we read this, there's a lot of questions we can have. You know, did he arrange for this donkey ahead of time? Did he just know that it was there because he's God? There's a lot of questions, but um, I think the important thing is that Matthew doesn't answer those questions, and so he doesn't want you to ask those questions. Does that make sense? He, he's not very concerned about how Jesus knew about the donkey. He's much more concerned about what Jesus is going to do with the donkey. And so we're going to find that out in a minute. But before we move on, again, let's remember, we know that Jesus is the king, and that King Jesus is different than those that have gone before. And so let's read verses 4 and 5. 
This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so Jackie read this for us this morning, and uh, it's just a cool, it's a cool reminder, right? And so, uh, quick reminder, quick thought. Anytime we read a gospel writer say, uh, this was to fulfill the words of the prophet so-and-so, uh, they're, they're, they're doing something really intentional here. They want to connect our minds in this story to something that has happened in Israel's past, something that has happened in the Old Testament. So here, he's drawing our attention back to Zechariah 9 that Jackie read for us this morning and a passage in Isaiah. Uh, But the the important thing is that he's trying to connect what is happening here with the Old Testament. So just like what we talked about with the Mount of Olives, that the setting is significant, Matthew is showing us that what Jesus is doing here is connected to what was happening before. And so let's, let's dig into that. What we see is that he's quoting uh, Isaiah 62, 11, and Zechariah 9, 9. And again, we're not going to dive into these. Uh, we could easily spend another hour or two just talking these passages, and maybe we will one day. Um, but there's, there's one unifying theme about both of these, and, and again, we touched on this this morning. It's about God's promise to send a good king to Israel. It's about his promise to send a king to Israel. And not just any king, but a good king, the good king, the best king, the one that they've been waiting for, the son of David, so to speak, the, the king who could come and do what David and Solomon and so many others did wrong. And so are you seeing a pattern here? is that the mountain that Jesus is starting from claims that he's a different kind of king. And the donkey that he's riding on claims that he's the different kind of king, the promised king. So each of these things are saying that. This whole story just wants to hit us over the head with this picture of Jesus as king. And so, again, we have to pay attention to, though, is what kind of king is he? So we see is that Jesus is not just a different kind of king. He's the promised king. He's the one that God always promised that he would provide. He'd always said that he would give Israel the king they've been waiting for and that the kingdom would be unlike anything they'd ever known before. So the key is that God wasn't just promising to send some guy. He wasn't just saying that he could set up Uh, a king for Israel, and maybe this one would get it. No, he had bigger plans. He had much bigger plans. He was planning to send his son, the true king, God himself, to them. And the people missed it, but the writing was on the wall the whole time. You know, throughout the whole Old Testament, there's this recurring uh, phrase. In all God's interactions with Israel, he, he promises them that the ideal situation would be that he would be their God and that he would live among them and that they would be his people. And so in Jesus, we see that. He's sending the king, the true king, to come and live among his people. But it just looks different from what they expected and and different from what we expect, right? And so in these verses, verses 1 through 5, again, we saw Jesus is a different kind of king. And we saw that Jesus is the promised king. So let's keep tracking. 
I'm going to go to verses 6 through 8. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and put on, put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. All right, so the disciples, they do as Jesus said. They got the donkey and the colt, and they prepared the animals for him to ride on. And we also see that people start laying their cloaks and their branches on the pathway too. And if you're like me, you read that and you say, that's weird. I don't know what that means. Uh, and so what we're seeing essentially is that the people around Jesus, his followers, they're going back in their minds. And all of these things that we just talked about, the setting on the mountain, the prophecy being fulfilled, all of these things are triggering images for them of Israel's greatest kings and warriors, and they're recreating that scene for Jesus, and they're setting up a a parade for Jesus to usher him into town as king. And so, again, this is just like the inauguration ceremonies we were talking about before. Think back to the last few inaugurations. This this kind of feels adjacent, right? You know, we're not cutting branches or putting our clothes in the street, but we're lining the streets, we're cheering, we're celebrating, um, there's music. It, it's the whole ordeal to welcome in the new leader, right? So when we read this passage, what we should see is that this is the first century equivalent. You know, when they're laying the branches and the cloaks on the road, uh, maybe that's the equivalent of stretch limos and secret service. And so the significance is that the, the, here is that the whole people uh, around Jesus are recognizing that he's some kind of king, right? But there are some things that are off. And so think back to the donkey. Why is Jesus riding in on a donkey? If a king rides into town, especially a king in victory, why would he not be riding a horse or a chariot? At this time in, elef- and this time in history, people rode war elephants. Jesus could have been riding in town on an elephant. He could have made a big scene, Right? And so, no, what we see is that Jesus, uh, and, and we know from our time with him, he's not only the king, but Lord, he chooses this humble entrance on a donkey. And this brings us to our next point. You know, we've seen that Jesus is a different kind of king, and we've seen that he's been promised. But what we see in this passage, in this section, is that he's the humble king. So think about it. Jesus could have organized whatever he wanted for his entrance parade. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this this week. I thought this was fun. He could, have, he could have flown in on jets. He could have had Queen Elizabeth announce his entrance. He could have had Billy Joel perform a song for him to usher him in. He could have had Kanye, whatever he wanted for his entrance. Like, you get it, right? He could have done whatever he wanted for his big entrance into Jerusalem, but he chose this. He decided to come into city as the king on the back of two donkeys. How awkward is that to ride? And this is not a glamorous entrance. And most importantly, it's almost not fit for a king, right? But that's kind of the point. When we look forward, we know that the end of this journey, the end of this procession, ultimately leads with the cross. And see, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem pretty similarly to how he's leaving Jerusalem in humility. The king of the universe is here, 
and we know that he's going to live up, give up his life for us, we know that he's going to be beaten and shamed and killed, and then when we come back here, he still rides into town. And see, Jesus doesn't need all this fanfare and celebration. He knows what his purpose is. He knows that he's come here to get something done. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine President Biden rides into the ceremony in like a beat-up old station wagon, hubcaps falling off? It wouldn't fit, right? It wouldn't feel right. And Jesus wants us to see that he's different. He's a different kind of king. He's not the king that we've seen before. He's not the same guy who's shown up time and again and failed. He's the real king. He is the humble king. And he's the king who comes to town on two donkeys and the king that leaves town on the cross. And because of that, Jesus is a king worth paying attention to. We have to remember that that Jesus is a great king because he's the kind of king who will intentionally humble himself to ride in town on a donkey. He's the kind of king who intentionally humbled himself to leave town with the cross. And what kind of king not only chooses the humble entrance, but chooses to die in our place so that we might have life? King Jesus does. Let's round the basis here and let's read verses 9 through 11. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the big question is here is, how is Jesus received? And I think the short answer is not bad, but not great. So there's a lot of interesting things here. Uh, first, the, the crowds are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And, and again, this is weird for us to read, right? When we say Hosanna to the son of David, it's like, what does that mean? I, who's David? I thought Jesus was Joseph's son or Mary's son. Why is he the son of David? And the, the short answer is that this is like a title for king, right? This is, this is shorthand. And so the people around Jesus, you know, they're seeing this picture and they're getting more or less that Jesus is, is this guy coming as king. And so they're calling him son of David, son of the best king. And it's like, I don't know who the greatest president would be. Maybe it's, say it's George Washington. It's like, it's like if we called somebody the son of George Washington. You know, we're, we're trying to draw back this person to the greatest, whoever that was. And so, this kind of feels good, right? They're celebrating him when he comes into town. Um, But also, maybe they're not. They're shouting Hosanna, which means uh, God save. It's a Hebrew word, or Aramaic word. Uh, It means God save. And so, some theologians, some commenters say that what they're really saying here is something more equivalent to God save the king. And so this is, this is probably the equivalent of 
saying something like, God bless America. It's a good sentiment, you know, to wish for God to bless the leaders or the country that you live in. But it's really falling short of the whole scene that's happening here, right? And, and this is where we get into this kind of murky territory about this passage. This phrase is probably less of a celebration of Jesus as the ultimate king, as the Lord himself, and more of maybe a national anthem, more of uh, a celebration of the next guy is here. It's like, you know, we go back, it's like the president walks into a room and they play Hail to the Chief, right? It's a lot less about that specific president and more about the office that he sits in. And so the people know that Jesus is king, and that's good. But they thought he was a different kind of king. They thought he was something else. They thought that he was coming to save them and free them from Roman rule. They thought that he was going to make Israel great again. They thought that he was going to promise that their best days were still ahead. They thought that he was coming to fix their political problems. But he had a much bigger goal. He came to fix heart problems. He came to save people. And so we're going to see over the next few months as we run out the book of Matthew, we're going to see how this journey ends. We're going to see Jesus on the cross the king of the universe, dying on our behalf. And we're going to see that the same crowd of people who shout, Hail to the chief, Hosanna to the son of David, God save the king, these same people, in a few months, are going to be the ones shouting, Crucify him. And this is a good reminder for us today. As we read about what kind of king Jesus was, what kind of king he is, it's important that we see how those who have gone before us have responded to him. See, Jesus isn't just the king of some place in Israel 2,000 years ago. He, he's the current king of the universe. He's the creator. He's ruling right now. And we know that he's going to come again. And we know that his second entrance is going to be much bigger in the first. And so the question is, this is how they responded. How will you respond to this Jesus that's come? And the problem that they had was that Jesus didn't come the way they expected him to. They thought he would fix their political problems. And what are the things that you're expecting Jesus to do when he comes? Does your picture of Jesus fit with this Jesus? I've spent a lot of time over this past week just thinking about this triumphal entry. Um, and in getting ready for this, I just keep coming back to the same question for me. And it's just this idea that if this is how my king operates, how does this affect how I should live? If, in other words, even Jesus, the king of the universe, chose this humble entrance and humble exit surrounded by people that, that he loved very much but did not understand him, how can I fight for like, glory in my personal life? How can I fight for status or, or pride or anything like that? Like If my king chooses this, how could I choose anything else? Who do I think I am, you know? How do I think that I deserve more than Jesus? 
So as we wrap up today, you know, I just want to think about what this story calls us to do. And as a reminder, you know, we've seen here that Jesus is the king. He's a different kind of king. He's the promised king. He's humble. And we just saw it. He's misunderstood. I just want us to think about this. First and foremost, I think we have to see, again, I've said it a million times this morning, I know, but we have to see that Jesus is the king. He's not just the king of this people group at this time, but of the whole world. He made everything, and everything belongs to him. And what we've seen here is really just a glimpse of what his kingship is like. The same king that made the world, the same king that rode to town, the same king that went along the countryside feeding people and healing people and preaching the good news, this is the same king who ultimately gave his life in exchange for ours. And this is the same king that calls us still today. He calls us to follow him, to test his rule, and to let us recognize his kingship in our lives. And so if you've, if you've not decided to follow Jesus, I just want to encourage you with this picture of the humble king. And I, I promise you that he's not only the good king, he is the only good king. And I just encourage you to consider that kingship. Consider following him. And we're going to see, if you stick around, is, is that there's a lot that Jesus is about to do that just solidifies that he's the good king and he's the only one worth following. And so for those of us who are already following, this is a good reminder to remember what it means to actually follow. We need to see the example that Jesus sets. Even in his special moment, he sets the example of humility and service and sacrifice. And I know for me that I have to keep reminding myself that following Jesus doesn't mean following him for what he can do for me. Right? Following Jesus isn't about getting position or power or, or whatever it is that I want. It really is a life of humility and service and sacrifice. Again, if even Jesus, the king of the universe, chose not to be served but to serve, how much should I, his follower, live a life of service? So for those of you like me, I just want to encourage you, let's spend time this week reflecting on those areas of our lives where we're holding out or holding on to um, a, a, a different picture of Jesus, where we're holding on to uh, a picture of Jesus that gives us position or power, or, or we're holding on to these visions for ourselves, and, and let's give them to Jesus, and let's, let's pray that he would work these things out in our hearts. Let's pray for that life and, and heart of humility and service and sacrifice. And ultimately, let's pray for that heart of love, because isn't that what Jesus showed us in this story and in the coming stories, is that heart of love towards us. And so the, you know, the point today, like every time we're in the Gospels, is that Jesus is a real deal. He is worth following. And that we really ought to follow him with our whole lives. So let's pray. King Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for this story and this image. We thank you that you rode to town on a donkey and that you left town with the cross. And uh, 
I'm just humbled by this vision of you, Lord, and what you've given us. And, and I just pray that as we go out from here, that you would just continue to work transformation in our hearts, Lord. Help us to recognize you as king. Help us to follow you as king. And uh, help us to live lives uh, that reflect that, Lord. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.